Hello? Hey! <clears throat> this is, uh, uh, a little literature. Oh, hold on. I'm Mike Leach, and this is a little literature. Sure. Thank you very much to my lovely and talented girlfriend, Karen, for recording this week's. Sure. Uh, we kind of got a backlog of these things now. We got one uh, ready to go for next week. I'll keep you in suspense as to who recorded that one, but it's a it's a series regular. It's a familiar uh, face. You don't know uh, what uh, this person's face looks like. It's an audio medium. Um, what am I doing? I'm sitting here. I got my uh, electric guitar set up today. Um, I'd never, I've never done that before, and the the guy at Guitar Center could tell immediately that that was the case. He opened it up and just started laughing. Uh, I guess it was filthy inside. Um, what's going on in the world? It's a beautiful day. Um, got some tea over here on the, the windowsill. Um, got, uh, uh, Oh, we got we had got no not one email, no emails at all this week. No, 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 no. That's, no, we didn't. We didn't get any. We, I said we didn't get any. We didn't get emails. Um, Siri. Hey Siri. How you doing? good um what's been what's new in your world in your virtual hey siri what's new in your virtual virtual world of information okay i found something on the web for what's new in your virtual virtual world take a look okay what's new and crazy in virtual reality how virtual reality no, Siri. Siri. Hey, Siri. I want to know about you. What's up? I'm Siri, but enough about me. How can I help you? Just being coy. You know, there's, uh... There's coy, and then there's, uh... Annoy... <laughs> <laughs> All right, what are we doing? We're reading this uh, thing. A couple people have told me to read this story by Alice Walker. Let me tell you a little something about Alice Walker. Alice Walker was born on February 9th, 1944 in Eatonton, uh, Georgia. Seems like a typo. She worked as a social worker, teacher, and lecturer, and took part in the 1960s civil rights movement in Mississippi. Good for her. Walker won the 1983 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction for her 1982 novel, The Color Purple, and is also an acclaimed poet and essayist. I remember seeing The Color Purple when I was like, uh, seven? I remember a lick of that movie. Um, I don't think it was a 
the most pleasant story in the world. I remember that. Um, kind of a dark chapter of our uh, country's history. Thank God we've fixed uh, racism. Alright. Everyday Use by Alice Walker. You guys hear my cat breathing over here? Settle down, buddy. I will wait for her in the yard that Maggie and I made so clean and wavy yesterday afternoon. A yard like this is more comfortable than most people know. It is not just a yard. It is like an extended living room. When the hard clay is swept clean as a floor, and the fine sand around the edges lined with tiny irregular grooves, anyone can come and sit and look up into the elm tree and wait for the breezes that never come inside the house. Maggie will be nervous until after her sister goes. She will stand hopelessly in corners, homely and ashamed of the burn scars down her arms and legs. I Apparently, uh, Alice Walker when she was a kid, got shot in the eye with a pellet gun and was very self-conscious of her uh, scar. So this Maggie character might be a... Uh, what's the word? What is it called when Woody Allen makes uh, Jesse Eisenberg play Woody Allen in a Woody Allen movie? Um... Interloper? Hey Siri. What does interloper mean? Interloper means a person who becomes involved in a place or a situation where they are not wanted or are considered not to belong. Yeah, that's definitely wrong. Um, email me a little lit at gmail.com with a correct vocabulary term. Uh, you've no doubt seen those TV shows where the child who has made it is confronted as a surprise by her own mother and father, tottering in, in weekly from backstage. A pleasant surprise, of course. What would they do if parent and child came on the show only to curse out and insult each other? Uh, that's funny. On TV, mother and child embrace and smile into each other's faces. Sometimes, the mother and father weep. The child wraps them in her arms and leans across the table to tell how she would not have made it without their help. I have seen these programs. Sometimes I dream a dream in which Dee and I are suddenly brought together on a TV program of this sort. Out of a dark and soft-seated limousine, I am ushered into a bright room filled with many people. There I meet a smiling, gray, sporty man like Johnny Carson, who shakes my hand and tells me what a fine girl I have. Then we are on the stage and Dee is embracing me with tears in her eyes. She pins on my dress a large orchid, even though she has told me once that she thinks orchids are tacky flowers. Um, did I forget to read a sentence earlier? Hey, your sister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Um, I think I got off on a tangent about Woody Allen. <laughs> uh, I meant to finish this paragraph. 
uh, Maggie, okay, this is going to be very confusing, but this is from like half a page ago. Maggie will be nervous until after her sister goes. She will stand hopelessly in corners, homely and ashamed of the burn scars down her arms and legs, eyeing her sister with a mixture of envy and awe. She thinks her sister has held life always in the palm of one hand. That no is a word the world never learned to say to her. Okay. So Maggie. Maggie and I made so clean in, in the yard that Maggie and I made so clean and wavy yesterday afternoon. Um, so is Maggie one sister and D is the other and the narrator is the mom? Let's work from that hypothesis uh, for the time being. Um, in real, okay, fast forwarding. Um, so I left off with, then we are on the stage and Dee is embracing me with tears in her eyes. She pins on my dress a large orchid, even though she has told me once that she thinks orchids are tacky flowers. In real life, I am a large, big-boned woman with rough, man-working hands. In the winter, I wear man-working hands. In the winter, I wear flannel nightgowns to bed and overalls during the day. I can kill and clean a hog as mercilessly as a man. My fat keeps me hot in zero weather. I can work outside all day, breaking ice to get water for washing. I can eat pork liver cooked over the open fire minutes after it comes steaming from the hog. One winter, I knocked a bull calf straight in the brain between the eyes with a sledgehammer and had the meat hung up to chill before nightfall. But of course, all this does not show on television. I am the way my daughter would want me to be, a hundred pounds lighter, my skin like an uncooked barley pancake. My hair glistens in the hot, bright lights. Johnny Carson has much to do to keep up with my quick and witty tongue. But that is a mistake. I know even before I wake up. Who ever knew a Johnson with a quick tongue? Who can even imagine me looking a strange white man in the eye? It seems to me I have talked to them always with one foot raised in flight, and with my head turned in, turned in whichever way is farthest from them. D, though, she would always look anyone in the eye. Hesitation has no part of her nature. How do I look, Mama? Maggie says, showing just enough of her thin body enveloped in pink skirt and red blouse for me to know she's there, almost hidden by the door. Come out into the yard, I say. Have you ever seen a lame animal, perhaps a dog run over by some careless person rich enough to own a car, sidle up to someone who is ignorant enough to be kind to him? That is the way my Maggie walks. She has been like this, chin on chest, eyes on ground, feet in shuffle, ever since the fire that burned the other house to the ground. Dee is lighter than Maggie, with nicer hair and a fuller figure. She's a woman now, though sometimes I forget. How long ago was it that the other house burned? Ten, twelve years? Sometimes I can still hear the flames and feel Maggie's arms sticking to me her hair smoking and her dress falling off her in little black papery flakes. Her eyes seemed stretched open, blazed open by the flames reflected in them. 
and D. I see her standing off under the sweet gum tree. Mmm. As she used to dig gum out of. A look of concentration on her face as she watched the last dingy gray board of the house fall in toward the red-hot brick chimney. Why don't you dance around the ashes? I'd wanted to ask her. She had hated the, the house that much. So, it looks like they are. Maggie and Dee are sisters. Maggie's a, Maggie's a woman. Dee is a woman now. Lighter hair than Maggie and full. Yeah, Dee is a woman. Um, and their house burned down at some point. Alright, I used to think she hated Maggie too, but that was before we raised the money. The church and me, to send her to Augusta to school. She used to read to us without pity, forcing words, lies, other folks' habits, whole lives upon us, too, sitting trapped and ignorant underneath her voice. She washed us in a river of make-believe, burned us with a lot of knowledge we didn't necessarily need to know, pressed us to her with the serious way she read, to shove us away at just the moment, like dimwits, we seemed about to understand. Dee wanted nice things, a yellow organdy dress, organdy? Um, hey Siri, what is an organdy dress? My web search turns something up for what is an organdy dress. Have a look. Organdy dress. Organdy dress. Like Deirdre? Um, Deirdre Piper. Piper began piano studies at 7, organ at 12, and at 14 assumed an organ post. And so. <clears throat> Good work, Siri. Uh, where, what, where, where? Organdy dress. To wear to her graduation from high school. Black pumps to match a green suit she'd made from an old suit. Good. Lord, you guys hear that? Racket? I understand that sirens have to be loud, but do they have to be that loud? Uh, yellow organdy dress to wear in her... I got a little scratchy throat this week. I apologize for that. Oh, I should, uh... Take a sip here, this tea. It's time for a drink, Mike poured from the sink. Then heat it up for tea, now tell us what did you think? Uh, hearty flavor. Um, I threw a bunch of, uh, this is green tea and I threw a bunch of honey in there to kind of cut the bitterness, but the bitterness is still coming through. Um. Uh, in a in a pleasant degree. In a to a pleasant in a pleasant degree to a pleasant degree. Uh, you got the bitterness, you got the sweet. It's a nice little uh, nice little mix. Uh, yellow organdy dress to wear to her graduation from high school. Black pumps to match a green suit she'd made from an old suit somebody gave me. She was determined to stare down any disaster in her efforts. Her eyelids would not flicker for minutes at a time. Often I fought off the temptation to shake her. 
At 16, she had a style of her own and knew what style was. I never had an education myself. After second grade, the school was closed down. Don't ask me why. In 1927, Colored asked fewer questions than they do now. Sometimes Maggie reads to me. She stumbles along good-naturedly but can't see well. She knows she is not bright. Like good looks and money, quickness passed her by. She will marry John Thomas, who has mossy teeth and an earnest face. And then I'll be free to sit here and I guess just sing church songs to myself. Although I never was a good singer. Never could carry a tune. I was always better at a man's job. I used to love to milk till I was hooked in the, the side in 49. Cows are soothing and slow and don't bother you unless you try to milk them the wrong way. I have deliberately turned my back on the house. It is three rooms just like the one that burned except the roof is tin. They don't make shingle roofs anymore. There are no real windows, just some holes cut in the sides, like the potholes in a ship, but not round and not square, with rawhide holding the shutters up on the outside. This house is in a pasture, too, like the other one. No doubt when Dee sees it, she will want to tear it down. She wrote me once that no matter where we choose to live, she will manage to come see us. But she will never bring her friends. Maggie and I thought about this, and Maggie asked me, Mama, when did Dee ever have any friends? Oof. She had a few, furtive boys in pink shorts hanging about on wash day after school, nervous girls who never laughed. Impressed with her, they worshipped the well-tuned phrase, the cute shape, the scalding humor that uh, erupted like bubbles and lie. She read to them. Uh, when she when she was courting uh, Jimmy T, um, gee, am I, I just fell asleep for a second. When she was courting Jimmy T, she didn't have much time to pay to us, but turned all her fault finding power on him. She flew to marry a cheap gal from a family of ignorant, flashy people. She hardly had time to recompose herself. When she comes, I will meet, but there they, but there they, but there they are. When she comes, I, when she comes, I will meet, dash, dash, but there they are. Okay. Maggie attempts to make a dash for the house in her shuffling way, but I stay her with my hand. Come back here, I say, and she stops and tries to dig a well in the sand with her toe. It is hard to see them clearly through the strong sun, but even the first glimpse of leg out of her car tells me it is D. Her feet were always neat looking, as if God himself had shaped them with a certain style. From the other side of the car comes a short, stocky man. Hair is all over his head, a foot long and hanging from his chin like a kinky mule tail. I hear Maggie sucking her breath. <laughs> is what it sounds like. That was spelled A-H-N-N-N-H. Uh, like when you see the wriggling end of a snake just in front of your foot on the road. That was gross, I'm sorry. D next. A dress down to the ground in this hot weather. A dress so loud it hurts my eyes. There are yellows and oranges enough to throw back the light of the sun. 
I feel my whole face warming from the heat waves it throws out. Earrings gold, too, hanging down to her shoulders. Bracelets dangling and making noises when she moves her arm up to shake the folds of the dress out of her armpits. The dress is loose and flows, and as she walks closer, I like it. I hear Maggie go... That's that weird noise again. U-H-N-N-N-H again. It is her sister's hair. It stands straight up like the wool on a sheep. It is black as night, and around the edges are two long pigtails that rope about like small lizards disappearing behind her ears. Wasuzotino. Wasuzotino, she says, coming on in that gliding way the dress makes her move. The short, stocky fellow with the hair to his navel is all grinning, and he follows up with Asalamal... Asalamalakim. Um, we have some footnotes here uh, that these two, they're black Muslim greetings. Asalam, I feel like I should know how to pronounce this one. Asalamalakim. Pretty, pretty cultured dude from uh, rural Minnesota. Uh, Asalamakim, my mother and sister. He moves to hug Maggie, but she falls back right up against the back of my chair. I feel her trembling there, and when I look up, I see the perspiration falling off her chin. Don't get up, says Dee. Since I am stout, it takes something of a push. You can see me trying to move a second or two before I make it. She turns, showing white heels through her sandals, and goes back to the car. Out she peeks next with a Polaroid. She stoops down quickly and lines up picture after picture of me sitting there in front of the house with Maggie cowering behind me. She never takes a shot without making sure the house is included. When a cow comes nibbling around the edge of the yard, she snaps it and me and Maggie and the house. Then she puts the Polaroid in the back seat of the car and comes up and kisses me on the forehead. Meanwhile... Asalamalakim is going through the motions with Maggie's hand. Maggie's hand is as limp as a fish and probably as cold, despite the sweat, and she keeps trying to pull it back. It looks like Asalamalakim. Uh, how many more times? Oh, God, I see it ago. Yeah, that's not ending anytime soon. Uh, wants to shake hands, but wants to do it fancy. Or maybe he he don't know how people shake hands. Anywho, anyhow, <laughs> uh, anyhow, he soon gives up on Maggie. Well, I say, D. No, Mama, she says, not D. Wanjiroliwanika Kamanjo. What happened to D? I wanted to know. She's dead, Wanjero said. I couldn't bear it any longer, being named after the people who oppress me. You know as well as me you was named after your aunt Dicey, I said. Dicey is my sister. She named D. She named... She... Well, okay. Had a little, uh... A little battery, uh... Outage. Had to replace that, so hopefully I'm not recording over uh, that last 20 minutes. Hey, buddy. What's up, buddy? 
Um, okay. Uh, she's dead. What happened to D? Um, she changed her name. Big D. Uh, okay. You know as well as me, you, you was named after your Aunt Dicey, I said. Dicey is my sister. Uh, she named D. We called her Big D after D was born. I have an Uncle Mike. Uncle, and Uncle Mike Leach. They call me Little Mike and him Big Mike. Even though, truth be told, I got him beat by a good two, three inches. Um, no big deal. Uh, but who was she named after? Asked Wang Jero. I, I guess after Grandma D, I said. And who was she named after? Asked Wang Jero. Her mother, I said. And saw Wang Jero was getting tired. That's about as far back as I can trace it, I said. Though, in fact, I probably could have carried it back beyond the Civil War through the branches. Well, said Aslam, Aslamalakam, there you are. Um, that's that sound again. I heard Maggie say. Uh, there I was not, I said, before Dicey cropped up in our family. So why should I try to trace it back, trace it that far back? He just stood there grinning, looking down on me like somebody inspecting a Model A car. Uh, every once in a while, he and Wangero sent eye signals over my head. How do you pronounce this name? I asked. You don't have to call me by it if you don't want to, said Wangero. Why shouldn't I? I asked. If that's what you want us to call you, we'll call you. Uh, I know it might sound awkward at first, said Wangero. I'll get used to it, I said. Ream it out again. Well, soon we... I always thought it was, uh... Uh, it would be common courtesy to let your child, uh... Name itself once it reached, uh... The age of reason. It's just a little, um... It's, it's an awesome responsibility to be able to name a human being. And, uh... I don't think a parent I guess parents put in put in the work so maybe they earn that right but it's still like somebody else like they should be able to pick their own name um I would have picked uh Luther Strange uh where are we on the forehead shake hands Model A, Sentai signals over my head. Uh, how do you pronounce this name? I asked. Well, soon we got the name out of the way. Asalamalakim had a name twice as long and three times as hard. You're telling me. After I tripped over it two or three times, he told me to just call him Hakim a barber. There we go. I wanted to ask him, was he a barber? But I didn't really think he was, so I didn't ask. You must belong to those beef cattle peoples down the road, I said. They said Asalamalakim when they met you, too. But they didn't shake hands. Always too busy, feeding the cattle, fixing the fences, putting up salt lick shelters, throwing down hay. When the white folks poisoned some of the herd, the men stayed up all night with rifles in their hands. I walked a mile and a half just to see the sight. 
Hakim Barber said, I accept some of their doctrines, but farming and raising cattle is not my style. They didn't tell me, and I didn't ask, whether Wangero D. had really gone and married him. We sat down to eat, and right away he said he didn't eat collards and pork was unclean. Wangero, though, went on through the, sh the chitlins and cornbread the greens and everything else. She talked to Blue Streak over the sweet potatoes. Everything delighted her, even the fact that we still used the benches her daddy made for the table when we couldn't afford to buy chairs. Oh, Mama, she cried, then turned to Hakeem a barber. I never knew how lovely these benches are. You can feel the rump prints. She, sa she said, running her hands underneath her and along the bench. Then she gave a sigh, and her hand closed over Grandma D's butter dish. That's it, she said. I knew there was something... Enough! Quiet! I knew there was something I wanted to ask you if I could have. She jumped up from the table and went over in the corner where the churn stood. The milk in it... The milk in it clabber by now. Clabber. Oh, we got a little uh, definition in the footnote here. Clabber means curdled milk. The milk in it clabber by now. I see. Um, I like that word, clabber. She looked at the churn and looked at it. This churn top is what I need, she said. Didn't Uncle Buddy whittle it? Hey, Buddy. They're talking about you. Uncle Buddy whittle that too, asked the barber. D. Wangero. Wait, whoops. Uncle, didn't Uncle Buddy whittle it out of a tree we all used to have? Yes, I said. Uh-huh, she said happily. And I wanted, and I want the dasher too. Dasher is the plunger of a churn. People used to make butter in a churn by stirring and beating milk with the dasher. Got it. Uh, Uncle Buddy whittle that too, asked the barber. D. Wangero looked up at me. Aunt Dee's first husband whittled the dash, said Maggie, so low you almost couldn't hear her. His name was Henry, but they called him Stash. That's cool. Maggie's brain is like an elephant's, Wangero said, laughing. I can use the churn top as a centerpiece for the alcove table, she said, sliding a plate over the churn. And I'll think of something artistic to do with the dasher. Then, when she finished wrapping the dasher, the handle stuck out. I took it for a moment in my hands. You didn't even have to look close to see where hands pushing the dasher up and down and up and down to make butter had left a kind of sink in the wood. In fact, there were a lot of small sinks. You could see where thumbs and fingers had sunk into the wood. It was beautiful light yellow wood from a tree that grew in the yard where Big D and Stash had lived. After dinner, D. Wangero, <laughs> this is very helpful went to the trunk at the foot of my bed and started rifling through it. Maggie hung back in the kitchen over the dishpan. Out came Wangero with two quilts. They had been pieced by Grandma D, and then Big D, and me had hung them on the quilt frames on the front porch and quilted them. One was in the Lone Star pattern. The other was Walk, walk Around the Mountain. In both of them were scraps of dresses Grandma D had worn 50 and fifty and more years ago. Bits and pieces of Grandma Gerald's 
uh, Paisley shirts. Grandma Gerald. Uh, one time, my brother and his friend, when they were back when my brother was dating his now wife, um, they uh, they lied to her and said that uh, my brother's friend's grandma was named Gary. And my sister-in-law did not believe them at all. Uh, but they insisted um, for like an hour. They just kept going on and on. They said like, no, 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 back in the day. It's not It's not like a, a common name for a, a lady now, but back in like the 20s, it was, it was you'd, you'd run into some female Garys. And finally, after like an hour of this, uh, my sister-in-law, almost just to change the subject, relented and, and said, oh, okay, well, I can see it's possible that uh, your grandma's name might be Gary. And then they just pointed and laughed in her face. Uh, Grandma Gerald's Paisley Shirts. And one teeny faded blue piece, about the size of a penny matchbox, that was from great-grandpa Ezra's uniform that he wore in the Civil War. Mama, Wangero said, sweet as a bird, can I have these old quilts? I heard something fall in the kitchen, and a minute later the kitchen door slammed. Why don't you take one or two of the others, I asked. These old things was just done by me and Big D from some tops of your grandma's piece before she died. No, said Wangero, I don't want those. They are stitched around the borders by machine. That'll make them last better, I said. That's not the point, said Wangero. These are all pieces of dresses Grandma used to wear. She did all this stitching by uh, hand. Imagine. She, she held the quilts securely in her arms, stroking them. Some of the pieces, like those lavender ones, come from old clothes her mother handed down to her, I said, moving to touch the quilts. D, Wangero, moved back just enough so that I couldn't reach the quilts. They already belonged to her. Imagine, she breathed again, clutching them closely to her bosom. The truth is, I said, I promise to give them quilts to Maggie for when she marries John Thomas. She gasped like a bee had stung her. Maggie can't appreciate these quilts, she said. She'd probably be backward enough to put them to everyday use. Hey. Uh, I reckon she would, I said. God knows I've been saving the... Hey! Quit it. God knows I've been saving them for long enough with nobody using them. I hope she will. I didn't want to bring up how I had offered D. Wangero a quilt when she went away for went away to college then she had told me they were old-fashioned out of style but they're priceless she was saying now furiously uh, for she has a temper maggie would put them on the bed and in five years they'd be in rags less than that she can always make some more i said maggie knows how to quilt d wangero looked at me with hatred you just will not understand. The point is these quilts. These quilts. Well, I said, stumped, what would you do with them? Hang them, she said, as if that was the only thing you could do with quilts. Maggie by now was standing in the door. I could almost hear the sound of her feet made as they scraped over each other. 
She can have them, Mama, she said, like somebody used to never winning anything or having anything reserved for her. I can remember Grandma D without the quilts. I can remember Grandma D without the quilts. I looked at her hard. She had filled her bottom lip with chuckerberry snuff, checkerberry snuff, and it gave her face a kind of dopey hangdog look. It was Grandma D and Big D who taught her how to quilt herself. She stood there with her scarred hands hidden in the folds of her skirt. She looked at her sister with something like fear, but she wasn't mad at her. This was Maggie's portion. This was the way she knew God to work. When I looked at her like that, something hit me in the top of my head and ran down to the soles of my feet. Just like when I'm in church and the Spirit of God touches me and I get happy and shout. I did something I, I never had done before, hugged Maggie to me, then dragged her on into the room, snatched the quilts out of Miss Wangero's hands, and dumped them into Maggie's lap. Maggie just sat there on my bed with her mouth open. Take one or two of the others, I said to Dee. But she turned without a word and went out to Hakeem a barber. You just don't understand, she said, as Maggie and I came out to the car. What don't I understand, I wanted to know. Your heritage, she said. And then she turned to Maggie, kissed her, and said, You ought to try to make something of yourself too, Maggie. It's really a new day for us. But from the way you and Mama still live, you'd never know it. She put on some sunglasses that hid everything above the tip of her nose and her chin. Maggie smiled, maybe at the sunglasses, but a real smile, not scared. After we watched the car dust settle, I asked Maggie to bring me a dip of snuff, and then the two of us sat there just enjoying, until it was time to go in the house and go to bed. Well, that was sweet. It took me a while to kind of get into that one, I'm not going to lie. But uh, I thought it had some interesting uh, interesting things to say about um, heritage and family. This, uh, this older sister was, um, uh, she was trying to kind of erase the uh, horrible parts of her heritage uh, and um, live as if uh, they never happened well I guess that's not true she was acknowledging them uh, acknowledging the fact that they had happened by uh, changing her name in protest but I thought it was interesting that her mom and her sister um, were not uh, we're not protesting the past. Um, they were accepting it as uh, uh, part of who they are. And uh, they, I don't know, they seemed a little, uh, little more content that way. Um, I don't know if I am the, the best interpreter of this uh, story as a white fella from uh, southern Minnesota rural Minnesota but uh, I, it affected me so that's cool 
Um, we got some study questions in this textbook here. Uh, which character did you do, did you react to most strongly and why? I guess the little sister Maggie. She was kind of uh, selfless um, to a fault. Um, never stood up for herself. And then was rewarded in the end. Uh, finally. Which was very uh, cathartic. Uh, compare and contrast Maggie and Dee. Um, I don't want to do that. Dee professes to be very concerned about her heritage. Do her words and actions support her concern? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's all, it's complicated. I feel like I already answered that one. Isn't it great that we're not in school anymore and we don't have to answer these questions? in the back of textbooks. We can if we want, but uh, we can also throw the textbook in the uh, in a lake and uh, drink a bottle of uh, rum if we want. Um, I don't know what I'm talking about. Let's stop reading this textbook and let's go, uh, let's go to a lake with a bottle of rum and enjoy the freedom that adulthood affords. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, but I appreciate you guys listening, and uh, I hope to see you next week. Maybe not. I got a wedding. I'm going to a wedding next week, so might be busy. Um, it's a destination wedding. Park City, Utah. Any Utahans, Utahites, Utah folks listening to this? Give me an email. A little lit at gmail.com. Uh, write a review on iTunes. We got, we're getting, we had like, uh, twice the number of listeners that we normally do after that, uh, Kurt Vonnegut episode. I guess he's just pretty popular author but uh it, the, those numbers carried on to last week too so it's exciting um tell your friends let's keep this uh keep this money train rolling to my door i don't make any money off of this uh i'm mike leach and this is a little literature Sure. There you go. Did you do it? No.